That is Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Jan Dekel. Hello and welcome to Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. Alex, yes. scientists create mice with two fathers after making eggs from male cells. It's today <laughs> on the newspaper. The future is here. And it's just in time for the final episode. We'll of, talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about... Talk about the mice. I mean, they say it's going to be uh, in humans in, in 10 years. Okay. They're going to be able to do that. Okay. But... Oh my God. I could guess. You, I mean, could you believe? Can I just tell you something as somebody who has been blessed to have two children via in vitro fertilization? Yes. I don't really care. Really? I think that's great and all, but guess what? I love what we have. I, it doesn't I matter know, to but, me but that our, that our let's, children- Let's just say that. If we had that option, would we do it? The answer I is yes. I don't want to have mice as children. No. No. <laughs> if, we, if we could have our- like. Well, of course, it's going to be your sperm who's going to be turned to an egg, not mine. Well, why I mean, do I have to be the ovum? I want to be the sperm. <laughs> Listen, I uh, want to be the sperm. <laughs> I think is... that's going to be like the next generation problem. Yeah, I know. Really, this is one of the most ridiculous conversations we've had, and we've had a lot of ridiculous conversations. Look, I will also point out to you, though, you still need a womb. So that's true. when it comes right down to it, it's all yeah. well and good, but we can't fire all the women yet. No, but I think it's going to um, save a lot of uncomfort to women because the retrieval of the yeah. eggs, apparently, is a very painful uh, Yeah, I procedure. hear you. I also think that there's something weird about the idea that uh, you have an XY chromosome and I have an XY chromosome. And so what? But I have to look into it because I'm just a little bit confused about what happens to... Okay, anyway, you can anyway, cut that Anyway, out, it's going to be confused. Okay. Uh, I want to also ask you a question regarding to that. Guess which country the experiment uh, was successful at. Oh. Guess the country now. Uh, South Korea. Pfft, I don't Are know. Are you serious? Oh, Israel? No. It's okay. Japan. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so it's uh, Katsuhiko Hayashi who led the work at the Kyushu University in Japan. Look, all we know is that Barbara Streisand was able to actually clone her dogs. And, you know, thank God that the science exists to support that. Daddy Square. Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm very emotional because uh, uh, not only it's the season finale, yeah. um, also, like, we had, like, a sick train uh, over the past week. Like, one oh of our God. sons were sick, and then the other one was sick, and then I was sick, and then Alex was sick. Well, I was actually Depression. sick first. <laughs> You're forgetting. Well, you were, like, the opening and closing I was. ceremony. <laughs> Of that whole fest. Listen, it but was it was it's bad. Very depressive. It was bad, and I'm sure that those of you, all of you who have children, are familiar with the kind of heart dropping experience that you have when you see your phone ringing and it has the name of your school on it. And so the first thing is terror that something bad has happened. Yeah. But then you answer the phone, and the next thing that happens is your kid is sick, and you're like a shit. Shit, fuck. Not all, thank God he's okay, but now there goes my day of work, and then I'm going to have to deal with him snotting and vomiting all night long, which is exactly what we experienced with first one child and then the next child. It was great. Uh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm laughing at it right now, but it was really miserable. <laughs> I mean. 
And speaking, by the way, of differences between children, because our children are, uh, they have the same biological mother, but one is biologically mine and the other is biologically my, my husband's here. I'm a puker. I vomit pretty damn often, you know? And so one of our children who happens to be biologically mine, uh, he starts throwing up first. And for him, it was like, it was, you know, it's very unpleasant to throw up, but he threw up and then threw up again and then threw up again and whatever. The second child got sick and he never vomits. And when he started to go, he was screaming and crying. What is happening to me? He said, I don't want to die. And we're like, oh my God, it's just throwing up. So yeah. It was all right, but that, let's uh, let's move forward. So you know, um, it's also you don't want to keep talking about vomiting. <laughs> no, no, it's the, also the season finale, and this year has been crazy for us. Yeah. I mean, I feel that people got to know us a little bit better, even if they didn't watch the parent test. Mm-hmm. And because I think that part of the issues that we've been discussing here on the podcast has been a little bit more personal related, and I think it's kind of you mean in previous seasons? I don't know. I mean, it's it's always personal. Everything I we know, do is personal. Yeah, that's true. But you know, the um, something that's related to the like all the bullying episode. The, I just the, want you to know that the bullying episode was very, very valuable to me. It was very meaningful to me. It was one of my favorites that we've done. It oh. really was. Yeah. So today's the season finale, and we're going to talk about community. Our us as gay dads, our sub community within the gay community within the LGBTQ plus community. The answer is yes. Right. Although, again, like, and we've discussed this so many times and i think it's so important is i refuse to put myself inside a community inside another community inside another community without recognizing that we have so many different uh planes and axes that we operate on right i yes i'm a i'm i'm a parent i'm a gay man and then i'm a parent and then and all of these things this is true but i'm also a member of i don't know Los Angeles. I'm also a Jew. I'm also a, I got all these different groups and things going on. And I think that it's really important for each person to be able to see themselves as all of these concoctions of things that they are. Sometimes I feel that us as gay dads are in, and I said that before, that we're kind of in limbo between the gay community and the parenting community. And the parents are, you know, parenting community is rather straight still, unfortunately. Um, And the gay community, sometimes they don't get us because, you know, I have this uh, story that... uh, that kind of pops into my head that we went to Palm Springs with the kids, remember? Uh, I think it was a year ago. Yes. And we wanted to go to that gay gym so much, yes. so uh, so bad. And um, and then... Uh, they didn't... Not nice to us. They, well, yeah, they, let's they, just say that. They, I mean, they, they, their, their, their attitude was sort of, well, you know, this is a kind of a gay place, and so we don't have something to do with your children. We don't yeah. have a way of handling your children. And uh, as opposed to you, I take that a little bit more in a more relaxed fashion but uh yeah yeah but when somebody says to me it's not chuck e cheese i take it as a as an insult i take anything that isn't chuck e cheese as a compliment but i know what you mean um so this episode it's not only about why should gay dads connect to each other but also how can we do yeah that? so um i think that uh, just in general i feel better connecting with other gay dads and it's mostly because i feel that when i'm with other parents who i know they're gay it's easier for me to to talk sure. like, to talk about everything. Like I know there's no uh, boundaries. Like for example, the sex thing. Like I feel that with straight people, 
and especially with mom, even though they kind of love the gays and everything, it's kind of gross to talk about, you know. Oh my sex. God, yes. I'm not talking to them about sex, gross. Yes. yes. So it's, um, so I feel, you know, we need it. We always talk about how, how our kids need to see families like us. But I think in the core of it, we need that. We need yes, other, we do. other parents to hang out with who are more like us. So we can talk about diapers and about cock rings. Oh, that's fine. But I don't want to talk about them in the same sentence together. So this is what we're going to leave you with uh, for this season, connecting with other gay dads. And we'll start with our main interview today. It's uh, Ron Puldayan, the executive director of Men Having Babies. Who we you've heard, heard in other episodes. Yeah. yeah. We heard him and his team throughout the season. And joining us and him is Richard Valenza. He's the CEO of Raise a Child. This interview is about community building through activism or a cause. So as you're going to hear, uh, those two men uh, had children, Ron through surrogacy and Richard through foster through adopt. And they ended up creating organizations for gay men around that. So for, for Richard, is more for the LGBT community, not only for gay men, uh, but you'll hear more about it. So let's go to the interview. Let's do it. Was that okay? Yeah, it was good. Okay. We have two people with us today. We have Richard Valenza here with us in the studio. Hi. Hi. How are you? You're the CEO of Raise a Child, right. organization Raise a Child. And we have from New York, uh, Ron Puldayan. Nice to be here. Thank you. <laughs> the executive director of Men Having Babies. And I and think someone whose voice you've heard before on yes, this podcast because true. of the Men Having Babies Corner. corner. Right. Yes. Um, so I, I want to start with... Um, the parallel between these two organizations that I, I personally find fascinating. Ron, you did surrogacy, and Rich, you did uh, foster yeah. care. Mm -hmm. for, your somehow, own, for your in own, your own personal In your lives, own personal right. life. And then somehow you turned it into an organization. So why don't you, Rich, start with, let us know how did it start? How did it come about from your own personal story to uh, become an organization? So it was probably, um, I don't know, 17, 18 years ago that I decided now's the time. I'm going to build a family. And uh, so I worked with uh, the folks at L.A. County, Department of Children and Family Services, and mm -hmm. I went through the process there. And you have to go a number of Saturdays uh, for training. At least you had to back then. I was there by myself um, a single man, a gay man. And uh, I remember that halfway through the class, they gave us these case studies. And I don't, I can't tell you what my case study was, but I definitely remember two women, non-related, uh, stood up and they said, our case study is that we are fostering a 15-year-old um, black young male and he's having trouble at school all of a sudden, getting in fights and coming home bloody and all. And um, he comes home one day and he says that he thinks he's gay. And what would you do? And the one woman said, well, I'd have to get rid of him because I have a 14-year-old that I gave birth to, a boy, and I wouldn't want him to make my son gay. And I'm oh. sitting there in class and I have this smirk on my face. <laughs> and then the other woman said, well, I'd have to get rid of him because... It's against my religion. Mm. So I sat there and I was just waiting for the counselors, the teachers to 
you know, let these ladies know what the laws are in California and what was best for the kid. And, you know, maybe this isn't what you should be doing. And instead, they weren't trained. They didn't know what to do. They turned red in the face and looked at, at the ground and then said, well, let's move on. Mm. Oh, what that did to me, being the gay man there, just floored me. Uh, from that Saturday to the next, I really didn't know what I was going to do. But then I guess I'm rather stubborn or whatever and went ahead with it. But I thought there's an opportunity to make things better for other people. So that's how Raise a Child came to be. So it, happened, it started even before you yourself had, uh, had yeah. kids? Yeah. Oh. I uh, kind of was the token gay man uh, for L.A. County Department of Children and Family Services. What, what year would that have been? 2006, I think. Okay, it was. all right. 2007, something like that. So I volunteered for the, the county, and they were trying. They got a big like, federal grant to do uh, diligent recruitment in the LGBTQ community. They said to me, for $300, we could be part of L.A. Pride with a table. And I said, yeah. Uh, You know, I, I don't know that that's the best place to really reach people. So, you know, basically, go ahead. Well, I have to ask, why not? Why is it not a great place to reach out uh, to the community? I'll tell you, it, it has become Okay. That, but back then, uh, I used to run an organization here in L.A. called the Poplar Club. Yeah, we, we know it. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so we did that for two years. You know, we wanted to... to be a family kind of thing where the guys could bring their kids and we talked to people and all. But right across the way was like Johnson sex toys and, you ah. know, it wasn't the right environment right. at that time. So we're back, uh, certainly. We have to put a pin in that particular item because I find that fascinating and I think it will apply to everybody. Yeah, Let's so Ron, uh, for you, it, it, it was actually the other way around. You started with your own journey and then it became an organization, right? I, I think in, in my particular um, experience, there were two inception points. Uh, one is indeed the fact that uh, my husband and I, who now have 22-year-old twins uh, from surrogacy, were... You know quite at a loss when we were trying to find information about how to form our family and in fact we didn't even start thinking exactly that we're going to do surrogacy we were looking at uh, the various uh, family formation options uh, both of us at the time i'm from israel my husband's canadian we none of us were even had a green card at the time we quickly found that we couldn't foster or adopt and we were thinking of surrogacy so we went to an lg at the lgbt center where there was a group for biological parenthood. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't the only gay person as Rich's story. I was the only, we were the only men. Ah, <laughs> interesting. So, uh, so in our case, uh, the misfit uh, had to do with the fact that, yes, it was an LGBT uh, organization and environment, but everything was geared towards what was the only thing that was happening pretty much at the time, at least in, in significant numbers, uh, which is lesbians becoming parents biologically and men mostly not becoming parents at all, or if so, maybe uh, uh, very few uh, through adoption. So we have somehow gone through that. I mean, there was no support, no information to be found pretty much. It ended up being word of mouth until we, you know, we found uh, the path for ourselves. However, When the kids were three years old and I 
you know, and finally started uh, uh, nursery school, I, it, it occurred to me that there should be playing biological parent for men. So that was the first inception point where I volunteered at the LGBT center to create a separate group. And I was even three years after or five years by then, since the time when we started our journey, there were still people saying, and we're talking now about 2005, I think, people saying there are not going to be enough people. (laughs) You know, it's not going to be enough demand. So we started a, a month, I started a monthly workshop that grew over the years. And the second inception point is when kind of parallel to what Rich said is more the, 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 the more urgent, deeper feeling about the need was when I realized, not that it was a big surprise to me, that a lot of people are, who are coming to the group still, still can't afford it. Right. And it occurred to me then that there needs to be an organization because we need to help people financially. So the first thing was just, you know, lending my lending my help to run a group at, at an existing institution at Delsby Center. The second one was, hey, we need to do something or, because nobody else is going to do it for us. Uh, Rich, I don't know whether your organization is gay men focused or LGBT focused. LGBT focused. So it's an interesting difference here. And when you are focusing on gay men, specifically the message and of course the community are going to be somewhat different uh, from when you're focusing on uh, the broader LGBT community. And I'm curious to understand, Ron, obviously you didn't have the other to compare it to, but did you find that it was easier for you to build the organization when the focus was specifically on gay men? Yeah, I think, I don't know what Rich's experience is, but really a lot of this was not some sort of planning or, you know, uh, pre- you you kind of like, you know, when you, Create a you know the path of a river. You go where you uh, you need it and where you can. Right. Uh, carve your, your way. We were just filling a void. We didn't sit down and say what's the best. Uh, we weren't starting a company. You right. Know? We were just saying, look at that. There's a group for uh, foster. There's a group for adoption. There's a group for co-parenting. Uh, there's a group for biological parent uh, parenthood. But that doesn't make sense. We have completely different journeys. Uh, the men uh-huh. and women when it comes to biological parenting. The journey is not that different, I presume, for foster and for adoption, but for biological parenting, there's absolutely no comparison. In fact, at some point, the name Men Having Babies was coined by Terry Bogus, who was the legendary head of uh, what was Center Kids at the time, later Center Families. And she said, let's call it Men Having Babies. And, you know, said, let's go along with it. And then a few years later, before we created the organization, somebody said, why don't we do a seminar for men and women who want to do have babies and have some information about surrogacy and some information about uh, about and and it didn't make sense. We did it, but fewer people came because all of a sudden nobody thought it was for them. Right. right. Yeah. And so, what about you, Rich? Uh, you've been from the opposite side of this from the outset. I understand uh, clearly what Ron is saying here because uh, when I was running uh, the Pop Black Club. I raised the idea, let's invite women in too, mm-hmm. um, you know, help our our dues, uh, our fundraising, all of that kind of thing. And I got a very clear message from the membership, no, because what gay men have to face in raising families and having families is very different from women. Right. Um, just the fact that, you know, how you feel when you're walking down the street with your kids and the the glances you may get or whatever are different, of, of course. For raise a child, 
it, it's true. I think that we can certainly open it up to everybody because the kids in the system, there's an awful lot of uh, trans kids in yeah. foster care. There's a, a study that um, uh, the Williams Institute did at UCLA that kids in the foster system are five times more likely to identify as trans as the as compared to the regular population of kids not in foster right. care. So as diverse as the kids are in the system, we're trying to match that to find commonalities between the parents and the, the children. Right, yeah. Um, so I guess uh, what you said about the Poplar Club uh, members saying no uh, to uh, including uh, women, I think that's kind of the core of our, uh, of our subject today. I feel that some of us as gay men really need and prefer company of other gay dads around them. Why do you think it's so important? In the years that I ran the Poplar Club, I wanted to show my kids uh, once a month that the life that they have with two dads is not that different from other people. So it was important to me as a parent, and I think important for my kids, to come together and see other gay dads with their kids. Right. Because kids in school are tough. You know, they'll, they'll say things that uh, would set my kids back. I'd, right. I'd pick them up from school and, you know, well, this one said this or that one said, why don't you have a mom? Doesn't your mom love you? All that type of thing. Right. And so whatever we could do to help normalize our family for our kids was really very important. And just to fill in the gap, when did you become a father in relatively to Poplar Club? Was it before or after? Um, so I became a, a, a dad and the very first weekend there happened to be a Poplar Club meeting. Mm -hmm. And so I made sure that I went and I'd say probably within the next year. Then okay. I, we we went to Pop Lock Club meeting when our children were like three months old, yeah, our twins, and, and the people there who had not yet become parents were like, I don't know whether we should do this, because they looked at us <laughs> and we looked like we were about to drop dead, but we'll put that aside. <laughs> Ron, why do you think it's, uh, it's important for a gay man to be around other gay dads? Well, what Rich said was absolutely, you know, something that was important for us as well. In fact, I remember by the time the kids were a little older and we were trying for the first time to introduce the concept of minorities and diversity and, and majorities versus minorities, it, 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 it really, you know, was very important uh, that they understand that these are circumstantial things that, you know, in one setting, you're a minority, one setting, you're a majority and everybody's both uh, always, but certainly, so there's that aspect of, uh, of, for the kids sake, but then there's the aspect, you know, the other, com the, the real need for camaraderie is also for us, you know, right. yeah. uh, I was going to say given that, that a lot of our gay friends have somehow disappeared yeah. after the kids were born. Those who mm. didn't become parents as mm. well. Whereas the parents of our kids' uh, school children were very different circumstances from us as well. And we, it was really important for us to also meet other gay dads. Yeah, It's not that we are completely different than everybody else. But, you know, when you go to uh, Mommy and Me and music together with the kids and all these other things... You real you you're in a mom centric world, right? And yep. it's not just that you need to show the kids; you need some t time to come, like you know, put your hair down, you, <laughs> you know, and be, feel more comfortable and create friendships with people. So, in in, in our case, the Managing Babies group and the Managing Babies events, etc., also became a community because it was both 
uh, a social structure to create, to achieve goals, you know, to help people with the financing, with the education, with, you know, the nav- navigating the path. But it was also a really, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, sun guy. You know, I, we've talked on the podcast many times about the question of the infrastructure that exists for the social life of a gay dad uh, that does exist, that doesn't exist. I spend a lot of time thinking about how society has changed, you know, back 40 years ago, um, a critical element of human beings' social life in so many countries was church, church, synagogue, whatever, right? Um, That's fallen away, not completely, but to a very large extent. And then, of course, for gays, um, a lot of churches were no longer embracing them, so that there's that factor as well. So then you come to organizations like these two, and I guess my question is, how do you guys perceive the balance of the kind of advocacy and functional support that they provide versus being a tool for me, a gay man who is exhausted because I have twin children, right? And as a result, as Ron said, his friends, many of his um, childless gay friends have fallen away. Mm-hmm. How is that an infrastructure that can help me develop friendships, support structure, a good time that I need to have with people who have this to share with me? I think in life, we all go through stages where we need different things. When we, when we go off to college... It's a whole new environment for us. We're learning, we're taking it all in, but we find our network of friends or we build a network of friends that help, helps us get through those four years, five years, whatever it may be. Um, I found with becoming a parent, and initially all of our friends were, were gay men with kids, but eventually it became less about we need to have gay men friends with kids to, and I'll be very honest with you, it was um, a sense of who could we relate to no matter who they were. Mm -hmm. At school, we were fortunate that our kids went to a public school here in LA where Mm -hmm. there were a lot of similar-minded parents there. And I would find that it would be the best therapy for me to drop off the kids at school in the morning and then hang out with the other parents. And we would hear from them, you know what my daughter did today? And I would say, oh my God, my daughter did that yesterday. It was more a, a function of what parents can I relate to? So we ended up having a very diverse mix of, of parents that we were friendly with. And there were those parents that we could go to the Abbey on Sunday afternoon with, and we'd find Regardless the of them being gay? Uh, no, no. Uh, oh, we'd have gay. our gay time. Okay, got it. But then we'd also, you know, do things with, with straight families, right. too. Ron, what about you? Well, first of all, of course, some extent, if you have other opportunities to bond with other parents, then fine, uh, other gay parents. But if you're not, you're not then Men of Babies is a, is a good uh, place where you can, you can meet other parents. Mm-hmm. The other thing has to do with the fact that, you know, the question of what makes a community, you know, mm-hmm. is is if you meet for, uh, I don't know, a defensive driving less, you know, lessons, uh, does, is that a community? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, no, it's not. It's a very random group of people that had, need, had a need and, you know, they're not going to feel any affinity or any affiliation with people beyond that. I always say that the gut feeling uh, uh, test is 
can you can you imagine a you know a run or a walk for this group of people? Is it a cause? Right. And when it comes to gay men, especially in, in each of, of of the those settings, then there is a cause because the reality is that a lot of people in society don't think we have any business of becoming parents. A lot of people are are skeptical, are suspicious, are a lot of people might be, you know, very liberal and just don't think there'll be a big tragedy if we didn't have kids. Mm-hmm. Yep. Don't consider us to be childless if we never have children. And that is why a lot of things are tolerated in the tax structure, in you know, family leave, in 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 uh, in our case, in in insurance and pricing practices of of clinics and agencies and lawyers. So at some point, it is not just about bonding with people who are of similar background as you, but it's also gathering around the fact that we all know how it feels mm-hmm. uh, I, to be perceived I, by society like this. I agree with you. My husband here will will attest to the fact that I have a great passion for talking about exactly the kinds of subjects, Ron, you just raised. And yet, I don't know how much I want to do that on a Saturday night. I don't. I want to. I want to hang out. You know, you talked about the table across from the from mm-hmm. the table with the with the dildos mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about the dildos? I want to because they're <laughs> guys. If you haven't you looked recently, they're that, really. Um, <laughs> uh, what all I'm saying is that, like, I know uh, for myself, I know for my husband, and I know for a lot of other gay friends of mine that they really have a desire to be with each other. There may be an underlying reason, uh, kind of a hidden reason that is based on the stuff, Ron, that you're talking about. But they also want to just talk about Mariah Carey for, I don't, but a lot of people do. And so I think that it, it raises a really important point about the question of the crossover between advocacy and uh, you know these types of organizations that are focused on a specific end and finding a way to create a bunch of gay friends who hang out together when it's really hard to do that when you're, especially when you're a relatively new parent. I just think it's self-selected, you know, you have a, you have a bunch of people in a picnic with, you know, gay dad picnic, you know, I know pop lock club, oftentimes that's what you do. Right. You know, some people are going to talk about politics. Some people are going to talk about the Eurovision, you know, it's up to them. The point though, in either of those cases is that even if you don't talk about the bigger, heavier, you know, downers, you know, <laughs> issues that you just mentioned, it still bonds you, you right. know, in the sense yeah. that it, it is still something you share. It is still something that maybe you have the luxury of not talking about it here or not feeling observed or judged or whatever, because the fact that we have that in common. Right. Yeah. And uh, the fact that you mentioned this, uh, I mean, I feel that too, like some sort of a limbo that we're in between the parenting community and the gay community. I want to point this question to you, Rich. Do you feel from your angle and from your organization that gay men feel that too? Do you see that? Yeah, I, I do see that. There's centuries of discrimination and all that we have to unwind and we have to address the uh, gay men in particular in a way that is different than everyone else. I know how I feel sometimes when I'm walking with my son or daughter with my partner and, you know, the looks that you get and all that I mentioned. It is different. It is different. But there's, in my book, there's a lot of commonalities and a lot of places that we share this kind of feeling 
with lesbians or trans people or, or whatever. So mm -hmm. there is a commonality between us all. But yeah, there are nights that, uh, you know, or days that I long to be at uh, the Abbey <laughs> watching the dancers and all of that and charging that gay battery right. inside of myself. Yeah, that's quite a battery. Um, it's a nine volt baby. Um, we spend very little time, and this is a little paternalistic, literally, but we spend very little time talking about gay men who are not childless in that they've decided not to do that, mm -hmm. but they're just young. They're just young. They're mm -hmm. in their 20s or something like that. What is our job? What is our role in the gay community for them? At Raise a Child, we've been... Um, in business going on our 12th year now. And I can tell you that the year that the U.S. Supreme Court legalized gay marriage uh, for us, it was, it took a while, but we have seen more and more young people like open up their view of what is possible for them. Mm -hmm. And I think as older gay men with kids or older gay men, period, it's very important that we show up proudly at the gay pride parades with our kids to show not only the world who we are and what we are and what our values are, but also to allow younger people to see this and envision for themselves what's possible. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. That makes me so happy because I've been yelling at older established gay men for so many years who are like, I don't want to go to the gay pride parade. It's not exciting anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you have another job. It's not just, yeah. So that that is very meaningful to me. Ron, what do you think about that uh, role? First of all, I love what you just said, Alex, uh, about the fact that visibility goes both ways. You know, you, you're visible towards the heterosexual world and uh, you're visible towards the LGBT community. I think there's an interesting twist, perhaps, to talk about. On the one hand, yes, we're role, role models, and I think that's almost a done deal now. I think at, at our day and age, I think younger people, and they're getting younger every year, and it's not just me getting older. You know, the people <laughs> at our conferences are getting younger. Right. Uh, Thank God. Thinking about, uh, about parenting uh, in an earlier age. Uh, so on the one hand, yes, you want to be a role model. You want to let them know that uh, they can become parents. And I think that message is already is out there. Right. To some extent, and we've seen it because you spoke about churches. We've been members of the LGBT uh, synagogue here in New York uh, for many years. And in the early years, there was almost a, a level of resentment from some of the older members at the time when we were bringing crying babies to services, <laughs> they were like, almost like saying, I thought the whole purpose of us, or the whole point of us being gay is that we don't have to listen to them. <laughs> you know? And, and that's no longer the case. Right. It's the opposite. So people who kind of developed maybe defenses in some cases are saying, I don't want kids. You yeah. know, that's how I'm living with the fact perhaps that I would have liked kids. Sometimes, yeah. Nowadays, it's the opposite. It's all of a sudden, everybody assumes that you should be able to be kids, but they might not be able to afford it. Right, right. They might not, they might not have the, the stable partnership they need to mm -hmm. be able to move forward with it. So to some extent, it's an achievement, but it also creates, an, it creates a need. It creates a, 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 the kind of anxiety and distress that didn't exist before when people are saying, oh, we're gay people, then we're not going to have kids. Right, right. Yeah. It's not in the books. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. My, my mother forced me to have children. I mean, she really, no, no, she really did. And um, 
I have to say that one of the questions I ask myself is, huh, should I be communicating my experience and my belief that having children is a good thing, no matter how hard it is, to your average gay man. I don't know. Like, there's a part of me that says, that's not my place. Uh, You know, uh, um, some gay men will want to have children and others will not. And then there's this part of me that says, yeah, but you know what? Like, this is, there is an inherent good in this for you as an individual, and I want to communicate that to you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, it's just a question of how much of a putz you want to be. We actually (laughs) explicitly say at at our conferences that we do not advocate for anybody to become a parent. Nor right. do we advocate for anybody to become a parent through surrogacy. Right, right. If you want to become a parent, if you feel like I do, that you, the full expression of your humanity, you know, would be possible with becoming a parent. If that is your perception, then we help you. And right. I do. I do feel like that. I feel that you know, just like you can't see depth with only one eye. I don't mm. think you can see the depth of life with only your perspective, and you only really oh, have another lovely. perspective when you have a child. That's so, love. That's beautiful, by the way. Yeah, so, uh, Rich, uh, I want you to for you to talk a little bit about the social element of your organization because we've. I know that if I want to have become foster parent as a gay man, as LGBT people, you can go to the organization. It's pretty easy, like it's self-explanatory on the website. But what is the social element? As are there gatherings? Is this something that happens organically, or do you help that happen? You know, understanding that when you are a parent, uh, you don't have a lot of free time. <laughs> yeah, uh, We have concentrated on doing events at different times of the year. And what we're doing is creating a community of parents, bringing them together. And then we see on social media that they become friends, and they share each other's posts and like each other's posts. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes as a parent during the school year and then, uh, you know, when there's Sunday soccer practice or Saturday, that's about all you can do uh, to stay in touch with other people on social media. Yeah, Yeah, Ron, with men having babies, it's it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, because we're so separate from each other physically, there is no choice but connecting through social media. Correct. But of course, we also have a peer advice network, which I think is somewhat similar to what you mentioned, where we allow people to be matched based on, you know, regions, uh, languages, sometimes uh, particular circumstances, people that have, you know, setback of this type, or uh, they want to have some uh, tips from other people. So you need to be creative, you need to use technology, you need to the extent possible, uh, allow people to uh, meet uh, in person. What we all always say is that we think of managing babies, and I think maybe raise a child is is to somewhere uh, somewhat uh, similar. We think of that, of us for uh, argument's sake as a horizontal organization, in the sense that we are specializing in one topic, and we can provide that uh, specialty and, and special help across the board. But we need to partner with what we call vertical organizations, which is the our family coalition in San Francisco, our Pop Black Club, uh, LGBT Center here that are grounded in communities mm-hmm. because we're not. I think in the LGBT community, we need both. We need organizations that are grounded in particular communities that are more organic. And we need these kind of specialty organizations uh, who by definition will then not be in just one location. We're kind of running out of time, but I have like some some sort of a, uh, last question, which is very direct because we've been talking about this throughout the whole, the whole podcast, but are we as gay dads a community? Yeah, and it gives me a lot of pride when I was having trouble going through the process. I went out to my uh, gay friends who had gone through it before and I 
ask for their help and their support. And they gave it to me. And I figured that all the gifts that they gave to me, I wanted to find a way to give back to other people. I certainly understand the issues of gay dads. Mm -hmm. um, but I really wanted to open it up. If I can share a quick story. Yeah. In our first two years, we were uh, partners with a very large national organization, LGBT rights organization. And our banner campaign, they helped us fund banner campaigns and advertising in New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and L.A. And I showed them the, the drawings of the initial draft of what the banner campaigns would be. That one poll would have a gay family, one poll would have a lesbian family, and then one a straight family. And they were like, we're not paying for that third one. <laughs> we're an LGBT organization. We're not paying for the straight family. And I said... If we want to talk equality, we need to show equality. And in my book, having two-thirds of this campaign, LGBT, is a great thing. And I think you should change your mind on that. And ultimately, they did. Um, you could have gone to the Christian Coalition to just get the third banner. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Ron, are we community? Uh, absolutely. But, you know, of course, we all belong. Thank God we are allowed to belong to more than one community. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that the interesting thing is that, you know, having uh, the international perspective, uh, first of all, having not been born here myself, having members and operations uh, outside of the United States, I can tell that it's interesting to see how communities forge. In Europe, for instance, they have gone through the AIDS uh, epidemic differently. And Gays and lesbians are not so much a solid community there as they are here because the lesbian part of our community came and rallied with the men here so beautifully that we became, we, we've been forged as a community. So there's really much more cooperation and and affinity and, and uh, less hostility sometimes that you see in other countries. So I celebrate that. However, every now and then uh, in the circumstances we already uh, outlined here, you just want to be part of that subcommunity, yeah. and in and in that and in that time, it doesn't even matter if you had surrogacy or foster or adoption. right. Right. At that point, you want to be among uh, men who are raising children in a mom-centric world, in a heterosexual world, etc. So, so the lovely thing is that we can be, belong to more than one community, but we need this community as well. It's not redundant. Right. Yeah. Ron. Puldean and Rich Valenza, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank, thank you. you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you guys so much. Thank Take care. Coming back from the discussion with Ron and Richard, I hope this really gets people into the idea of our gay dad's community. It doesn't really matter how you become a father. The issues that we deal with are kind of the same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, what we see on our journey to become dads and on the, at the beginning, it's kind of the same. It really doesn't matter Completely. if you foster or... or do it through surrogacy. Although, so what's interesting about what you just said is I know any number of women who would say, yeah, and so isn't parenting basically the same between gay men and straight people? And why why aren't you hanging out with us more? Because ultimately, isn't this all the same? Because right? I want to talk about cock rings ah, and dildos. Got you. And Mariah Carey, like um, you said. She's a dildo. <laughs> I don't know her. 
Okay, so we explored activism and organizations as a means to create community and connect. And now we're going to talk about social media, which is a world that has only existed for what now 15, 20 years. And yet it has become the central gathering place for so many people. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great way to connect with other people and specifically with other gay dads. However, I can also, uh, stretch it by saying that it's it can be sometimes disappointing because it's not always the connection that you're hoping for so it's really it's about trial and error i guess um what we're going to hear next is our interview with uh, brian copeland he formed the gay fathers group i think it's the biggest gay dads group on facebook right now it has i mean it's kind of meaningless to say the number it's over ten thousand, but it's like keep growing by by the day Uh, So 10,000 dads there, can you imagine? It's really great. And he is going to talk to us about how did it came about and uh, what is the secret for the community to uh, keep growing and and keep uh, having people to connect to each other. Excellent. All right. Hello, Brian. Hey, y'all. Hey, how are you? I'm dandy today. It's here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a little bit cold and rainy. Oh, yeah. We're in our uh, time in the weather when it's hot one day and cold the next. So um, <laughs> we're dealing with it. Well, um, it's it's raining here in Los Angeles, so it is the end of the world, and everyone is you know melting. running around like a lunatic. The Botox is melting. all the Botox is falling out. Yeah. Let's talk about the Gay Fathers Facebook group because I think it's a phenomenon. How did it came about? You know, uh, Facebook groups started years and years ago, uh, you know, over 10 years ago. And it was kind of the Wild West out there. People were starting groups. Uh, someone had started a group for for fathers. Right. Um, I won't talk about it here it was by name, but um, it was growing, but there was no administration. You try to reach out to the person and they were nowhere to be found. Mm. And so you had this group of hundreds of fathers looking for connection and a group of us said, you know what, we're tired of this. Let's let's start one ourselves. And so we started Gay Fathers and uh, we put the mission around it as the safest place on uh, digital communities for gay fathers worldwide. That was our mission. It still remains our mission. And uh, we built it and they came. Yeah. Um, and very proud of, of the services that we offer to our, our loving families. That's so, amazing. So t- tell me, who who is the we? Who, who are we? Are we people in Nashville, group of dads, or is like more... more? It's all the personalities that live inside my head. <laughs> and I'll, I'm just kidding. Facebook can't <laughs> handle that much. <laughs> I'm telling y'all. Um, well, it was it was uh, one of the fathers who actually introduced us to our son um, when we first uh, when he was first born, um, and then another father out of Atlanta. Uh, it was just three of us, and we said, "Hey, if it turns out to be." 12 of us in here, at least we'll have this support with each other. I'd also had been playing back then. There was a meetup.com was huge back in the day. Mm-hmm. You could actually create online communities and then get together in person. Sorry, ran a gay parenting group on meetup. So I had some, had some pieces there. Uh, so that was the group originally. Yeah. Okay. What? So I, I, just Ooh. because you touched that, and this is like, this is the core of our uh, episode right now talking about how can people communicate and connect with each other as gay dads. So, first of all, why did you feel like you want to start up this this meeting? And I want to know like the process that you had going into this in your head. I think we, as I mean, my husband and I, my husband's a pastor here in Nashville. We had this talk about 
how rare and unique gay father families are. Mm. And we know the statistics about how many LGBTQ plus people are, are out there statistically. But when you look at gay fathers, we are very unique. We have very unique needs and there's not many safe places for us. You know, you look at us and people would see us away from our, our families and our spouses. And they think we're just like every other, you know, cisgendered white male out there. We have very specific safety needs. It can be scary as a gay father. So that was the mindset is how do we set up a place where everyone is loved and affirmed? Every family matters and every voice matters, whether it be a trans father, whether it be a divorced father, whether it be a father who who had so much money that they could afford the most ex- expensive surrogacy in the world, or whether it be a father who was struggling to make ends meet as a single father trying to go through the foster system. They all matter. Right. And then once... Once we got there, uh, realizing and to hear the stories year after year of people saying, it's the one place that I can sit in on the internet with my children on, and I about cry when I talk about this, so forgive me. <laughs> it's the one place that people can sit on the lap of, of me and my spouse or just me with our children, and we can scroll through all the photos, Aww. and the kids say, Daddy, they look just like me. I, I have a few things that just burst out of what you just described. A few questions. The first one is, um, as far as having your kids sit on your lap, it's an interesting thing, right? Um, we're gay men, we have kids, but we're also looking for community with other gay men. And gay men are um, out there sometimes. So is this a is this a gay dad's community where there is an assumption, hey, this is a rated G community, like this is more of a family-oriented perspective? Yeah, so one of the joys, this maybe get a little bit long, so you may want to edit this after the fact, <laughs> uh, but Facebook started sub-communities. We started seeing a need for other com- conversations. Uh, so we created gay fathers divorced dads. Uh, we created gay fathers disability needs. We created gay fathers trans dads. Because, again, those are not adult, non-G-rated conversations. They're just conversations that um, that fall outside the greater broad mission. So we said, let's create a safe place for them. Yeah. So we have... We have several thriving sub communities right. that you may not even be aware of uh, yeah. for those people who can network. But um, I believe that uh, when we talk about G-rated, PG-rated, I think that those are things that um, our, our lives are unique and robust. We have some very tough conversations with our kids. And when when my, my, my daughter asked me if I was a virgin the other day. Right. You said yes. And she said, <laughs> she said are, are, you, are there other kinds of virgins? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, if I was a virgin girl. And I was like, well, yeah, guys can be virgin. And then she goes, are you a virgin? And I have to open that talk with an eight-year-old. And my son, who's 11, joining in the call to go oh, into the talk saying. Well, I have to say, it's going to come, but I so desperately don't want to have any of those conversations. You mentioned meetup. And um, so just for reference, you you do that too. So meetup is more about going to somewhere and meet f- physical meeting. And this is like online. Do you still do both or do you focus no. on so just the, yeah, I, I'd have been a meetup probably in 2011, maybe. I don't yeah. even know. I, I think it exists, but I'm not a part of that. So I think I guess it's relevant both to in-person and, and online. What do you think made it work at the beginning? Because obviously now the group is, is rolling. It has uh, over 10,000 people. Wow. But at the beginning, um, something has to get the ball rolling. And I'm guessing like the same thing when you trying to form a group in your own town with other dads and you know you say okay let's meet up for a 
for a pool party at my house and nobody shows up. So <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. What if I start a group and nobody's talking and nobody's sharing? So how is it possible to get the ball rolling? To get the ball rolling, it's, it's about values and sticking to your values. And when you articulate that to people and they know what to ex- expect and then you're consistent in those values for two, three years, yeah. and you have a team in place. We have a team of, at one point, a team of 20 administrators, and we call ourselves hosts more right. than anything. We were the concierge hosts to this this body. Our goal was to, we didn't want you to know we were there because we don't want to uh, constantly jump in and say, you're doing this wrong. Yeah. Right. But we wanted to be people who guided conversation. We even had conversations because there was a separate administration Facebook group about when we saw someone, and let's just this is very candid y'all there was a correlation between someone being really good looking and getting a lot of comments on their photos yeah and then people who just look like everybody else and they weren't getting any comments so we would deliberately go out to make a safe welcoming space for everyone you may be 400 pounds and may not look like the six-pack dad over here you still have value in our community and and that's kind of how we built because people were like oh crap this just isn't for the instagram dads it's for everyone on a on a related note uh so i'm not going to ask you about the people who you've had to boot out of the group because they're nazis and they're whatever i assume that kind of bad stuff happens here and there but more no it doesn't Happen. No, because we our pre-approval processes are, oh, are very okay. Most people, we're a closed group, so right. you cannot join us without a screening. We screen every single person, yeah. and even if we can't find a photo public of them and their child, even though they say they have children, we don't let them in. Got it. We, okay, safety's too important. Kind discourse is always welcomed. Mm-hmm. Being an asshole to anyone is not. <laughs> yeah. And just like the senator said one day, when people were like, "Define porn." I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you when I see it. Yeah. And we know that. Right. We know when someone's being an a-hole. Right. And we know that they're falling outside the values at that point. Okay. Um, and there's not a there's not a, a zero tolerance policy, but we do have rules in place. Right. If we see those rules being consistently violated, we do have a full dashboard on the back end of Facebook that lets us see how many violations someone has had. Right. I'll tell you, we haven't kicked anyone out of this group probably in over a year. And when they've gotten when they've gotten ugly, we have gently uh, off messaged and said, hey, uh, let's keep it in the lane. And then if they didn't, then we give them what we say the best gift you can give someone, the gift of goodbye. <laughs> yeah, understood. <laughs> understood, Madonna. Um, last question um, that I have is, um, let's say I'm a, I'm a dad in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find out about this group and I want to have some friends, gay dad's friends in Atlanta. How, what's the best way to navigate that through the Facebook group? Yeah, we, all the time happens, you know, monthly, someone comes in and say, it's usually small towns. We say, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm in Olaf, Kansas and, uh, any gay fathers nearby here. And people start commenting and they get together. I mean, we've had, we had a meetup in Massachusetts. That's where I met. Uh, someone you guys were on TV show with yeah. uh, based off of that. And, <laughs> and so we see a lot of followers who'll say, Hey, we're going on a cruise at this time. Is anyone else going to be on the cruise or we're going right. to Disney this week? Is anyone else going to be? And you see them start meeting up. So all those are permitted and we, we encourage those things. Amazing. That's great. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. Are you on TV too? <laughs> really? Right now? No, I'm not. But yeah, I've done uh, too many shows than what I 
I like to say I loved you. With the kids? This no. We started the recording of talking about how much I loved you guys on ABC. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so you. we've, uh, you know, our family's been on a few things. Greg's been on a, a show about uh, uh, this. They followed, like, five gay men, and one was on their spiritual journey. And so Greg ended up on that show doing that. And then we've done some things on uh, HGTV and the Learning Channel and all that. So, yeah. Been oh, is, my God. Is it easy to do it from Nashville? Yeah, Nashville. They love coming to Nashville. I mean, yeah, I think LA, New York, Nashville have kind of been the, the central city, so we get a lot of that stuff here. <laughs> right. Oh, that's awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and thank you for doing this group, which is that's really amazing. an amazing center amazing. for people. And if you're a gay father out there listening and you're not part of our group, please join us at Facebook. Just enter Gay Fathers up top. You'll find us in the area. You'll see our seahorse and just join our group and make sure we can see photos of your children in your in your profile photos so we know to approve you. All right. All right, Brian. Bye bye, Brian. Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast. We're back from our discussion with Brian. What I learned from this interview is uh, in order to create a group or a circle of friends in your hometown, start with finding one or two dads and just be consistent. So that's what he said. Like he had like three of them at the beginning yeah. and it's just built up on that um, and it kind of reminded me that we used to have that gay yes, pizza we did night. we had gay yeah. pizza on Saturday it was evenings, before the pandemic and the pandemic sort, sort of screwed it over um, and it, it occurred exactly for the reason that you just said we had I think two other sets of parents only who were like reliably yeah. there so worst case it was that just the three of us right but what that does is it's sort of like it's sort of like when people uh, uh, play music on the street for money you put the pot out you have to put some money at the bottom of the pot so that yeah. people don't think it's empty and I do think that there's something really valuable about saying like hey come if you want we have people here already it's true yeah. it matters yeah What's interesting about these two interviews and the two topics that we covered, one of which is about organizations that were created and the activism that goes around it, and the other is about social media and the sort of creation of connections between people, is that they are actually two different ways of achieving something very common. And it depends on the personality of the individuals who want to get connected. So here's what I mean. There are people who are incredibly passionate about making change in the world. They want to get involved and they want to demonstrate and they want to go to their capital and they want to call their congressperson and they want to make the kind of changes that will change laws, change policy, change um, the attitudes of society, etc. And then there are people who say, look, that's all really great and all, but that's not me. That's not who I am. But what I do want to do is I want to be able to share my life with other people who are similar uh, to me. I think that it, it's also true in the in the first case. That well, you wait, said. Well, what it, share your life with other people like you. So you're doing. So you have some sort of a mission together, but you're also social. Yes. And well, so exactly where I was going was to say that if you really look at both of them, they both head in the same direction. They're just uh, different based on the way people want to get connected. Some people really want to find each other because of social things. You're going to do things together as adults. You're going to do things together with your kids if you have kids. Um, and won't that be fun? And that can end up being a wonderful community experience. It can also have a real impact on society. The first one where you're 
entering because you have a goal to achieve change in the world or to support each other or what have you is wonderful for that reason. But as you said, ends up with the same effect of creating connections between people. But I have to tell you that uh, if you have something in common with the other parents, apart from the fact that you're both gay dads, it works better. To my opinion. Other than the dildos like, and ju- Mariah Carey? Can you imagine? So I was going to Kylie because, you know, we have to, it's season finale, we have to mention that name. For example, if I had other dads who like Kylie, it would have been a, a greater connection because we would go to shows together when she comes to LA. Plus, you'd be sure that they were gay yeah, to begin that's with. that's true too. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I guess that's the thing. For me, this has been a challenge my whole life is how do you find the group? Right? How do you find people who have um, enough in common with you that you're going to want to hang with them? It's not an easy thing. And and I, I, I will say that, you know, I'm a bit of a contrarian. I find myself uh, sometimes uh, with groups of people and I just want to argue with them. Sometimes it's not even because I disagree with them, but because to me it's enjoyable yeah, to argue. Yeah, nobody gets that. No, there are people who get that. Hi, New Yorkers. Those of you who are listening, please call me because I miss you because I've lived here for 20 years and nobody here likes to argue about anything. We'll talk. Anyway, I hope this inspires you to connect. Let's stick together, dads. Uh, you know, I mentioned that limbo, so... I think uh, sticking together uh, can be beneficial for everybody. Uh, If you have other ideas or success stories about gathering of gay dads, please email us, hello at daddysqr.com. On a smaller level, there's a sort of something I want to suggest. Okay. Gay dads see each other in restaurants uh, with their kids, uh, you know, in the playground, etc. And you say to yourself, what possible excuse do i have to walk up to that guy and say hi what why what because he's a gay dad too and so i have a little suggestion the answer is yes really that's the reason why i'm, I'm the shy. reason why is to i know but i am i am giving you a ticket i'm giving you a ticket that allows Here, you thank you that allows you to walk up to another gay dad and say hi i'm a gay dad too how are you? No, that's a kind of ridiculous, well, Alex. I'm sorry. You know what? This Not is hi, I'm a gay dad, but I would go with my kid past that guy and let him see that well you know, i'm not saying you have to say those exact words but my point is my point is to the extent that you can bring yourself to do it you will find that it bears a lot of fruit it's really nice to hang out with other gay dads and if you see one it might be nice to say hi um my little secret is that i send ben if we're in a restaurant i'm like look at this kid right right there go talk to them right it Right. The other piece of advice that my husband is providing is exploit your children. <laughs> That's true. Daddy, SQR.com. All right. We're moving on. And I want to end. I thought about like, what can be a good subject like to end the season with completely? I mean, you know, we're talking about uh, connections of gay dads, but I, I thought about we're always complaining about our kids, or at least it seems like it. <laughs> So for a change, I would like to list to you my three things that I'm the most proud of of my kids. Oh, wow. I love this. And I, I challenge you at home to, to really think about that. Like things that happen to you that where you're with other people or just by yourself when you're seeing something and you say, oh my God, like I'm so, like your heart is bursting. So um, my top three things. So number one 
is that uh, when they are friendly at, in social places, like it's yeah. really, you know, when they make friends, just because it kind of sits on my wound um, of, you know, loneliness. So I, I really, it's just, I feel that it's, uh, it makes some sort of a correction in yeah. me. Uh, the second thing, in, when they show compassion, especially to, toward each other, like this is, oh my God. Yeah. This is where I melt. Um, and the third thing, um, which is kind of for the ego, is uh, when they know about Kylie or Eurovision, when they demonstrate knowledge to other people right. uh, about Kylie or the Eurovision Song Contest, I'm like, this is the child of Jan. You know, that it's like a... Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yes. Like, people should expect it for my child to know all of the Kylie's uh, discography or the Eurovision Song Contest history. Look, I think that mo most Disney movies address this question of you want your child to take on the things that you love and carry them forward. And then your child comes back and says, no, no, I don't want to be a mermaid anymore. I want to live on land. And you have to let them go, right? But you're absolutely right that whenever our kids are sort of loving the things we love and carrying forward the things that mean so much to us, it is incredibly powerful. And I love every minute of it. Yeah. And I have spent an awful lot of time in this season and in all of the seasons and in all of my life complaining about our kids. But I just want to tell you guys all this. Many nights I get in bed with one or the other of my kids before they fall asleep and sort of lie next to them on the pillow and I'm like almost nose to nose to them and we talk and, you know, one of them will take his little hand, they're seven years old, take his little hand and just sort of put it on my face. And when they do that, I realize that I don't, really have anything else to do in my life that comes anywhere close to that. So Alex, we're going to end the season and the Eurovision uh, Song Contest season begins for <laughs> me and I'm very excited and I just want to point out that uh, we had an episode uh, last in 2021, we had our season that we go all, all around the world. Yes. We had an episode about Sweden. Um, it was released on April 19, 2021. Okay. And I would like to uh, play a little clip snippet from that episode when I predict that something is going to happen. Oh, right my right God, now? yes. Okay. So here's uh, my words from uh, April 19, 2021. Just so you know, Sweden won six times in Eurovision Song Contest. Uh -huh. And Jan predicts that in the next three years, they're going to win again. And that's going to be a full record, seven times. You've uh, heard it here. All right. To that you care. <laughs> so I predicted that Sweden's going to win, and that's what's going to happen this year. Okay, so I have a thing. First of all, it hasn't happened yet. So oh, you know well, what? It will Hillary happen. Clinton was going to be president of the United States. No, no, no. And look what happened like instead. Sweden is winning again, and uh, congratulations, okay. because we're not going to be on air. So congratulations, Sweden. Oh, my God. I can't believe you would curse her that way you by doing that. Um, and Lorraine... I mean, I, I have no words. She's also, amazing. she is amazing. But also, you know, if you're capable of predicting that kind of thing, can't you predict something that might make us a little money? Let's start with this. I mean, you guys can uh, email me after May 14th comments about this, but let's start with this, and then we'll get to the millions and millions of dollars that I'm going to manifest to yeah, us. Please manifest some money. All um, right. 
Everybody, we love doing the Daddy Squared podcast. We would love to hear from you always. Hello at daddysqr.com and on Instagram at daddysqr. And just know that there is so much pleasure for us in being able to connect to this, our community, and we would love to connect with you. I want to thank all of the wonderful dads and guests and experts that we had over the course of this season, our committee of imperfect parenting on Instagram. I personally learned so much from everything this season. I think it was like very, it was amazing for me. Yeah, it was know. good. It was good um, stuff. Also, uh, two things. So download this uh, season cheat sheet. You know that uh, every end of the season, we give you some sort of an ep- episode guide and other stuff like a magazine that you can download with some uh, tips and everything. So um, it's all available right now on this episode page of uh, Daddy Squared. And one thing that I want to mention that we have a new t-shirt out, especially for the end of this season. Um, and that is uh, our... I don't know like how it came about, but it's like Daddy Bear t-shirt. It's our Daddy Bear t-shirt. Daddy Bear. To go with, with our Dad Bod t-shirt and our Teach Your Children to Share. share <laughs> no, but the Daddy Bear Daddy Bear is really, uh, I just love it with a, with it's a bear. It's kind of adorable. It's very cute. Yep. Um, as you know, the season ends, but we're not going anywhere. So please write to us. I promise not to cry. But it's just uh, don't don't make it promises you can't me. keep. It moves me when people are trying to taking the time to write to us. It is great. If you'd like to support Daddy Squared, please give us good ratings and reviews on your podcast listener. Helps other people find the podcast, and we would very much appreciate it. And that's it. I'm gonna cry. No, don't cry. Think about your Mariah Carey dildo, and let's <laughs> say goodbye, guys. Please keep in touch with us. It's um, it's hard to do the season, but it's very hard to be in between the seasons. And we miss your comments and emails and communications. So please continue to write to us. Uh, even if you're listening to this after we're, uh, we're no longer on season um, and we'll be back soon. Hopefully. I will take the prerogative to say the last word, All right. which is... This podcast is executive produced and produced in all ways by my wonderful husband, Jan Dekel, who creates it, edits it, finds all of our wonderful guests and pulls it together. And I love him very, very much. I love him very much. Not him, <laughs> not me, him. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Daddy, that's QR.com. <laughs>